that you and I have listened to for a long, long time, her, but never really, I would say, neither of us have really dove into them before, have we? No, no, we haven't. I enjoy diving into this interview. Um, before we even get there, though, it's been a long time, Rob. We haven't done a show in a while. Yeah, well, you know, COVID. But we're still proud members of the Osiris Podcast Network. I have a uh, some Osiris podcasts I've been listening to. As always, the Tapes Archive, which has a whole new season, many episodes of which people who are interested in this episode may be interested in, like Peter Buck of R.E.M. in uh, 1989, at a, at a point when the band was just becoming a little more well-known, a little more popular, pop, maybe. Interesting interview with him. Vince Welnick, just a year after joining The Grateful Dead. Um, Paul from Kiss, Lars from Metallica, Ozzy, Kurt Vonnegut. I was just listening to Les Claypool. This is around the time of the Pork Soda CD uh, release when they had just toured with Rush for the first time. They had just yeah. done Lollapalooza. Yeah, the tapes archive, folks. Check it out. There's a lot of Robbie Doors fans, Robbie Krieger from 1991 and Ray Manzarek from 1998. I mean, there's so much stuff there. Um, also, Welcome to the Party Pal is a culture and movie podcast hosted by Michael Shields. Um, as for an example of the kind of things they do, there's this Richard Connell, or is it Connell? I'm not sure. There's this book called The Most Dangerous Game, also known as The, the Hounds of Zoroff, where this New York uh, big game hunter falls off a boat and then ends up on, a, on an island that he thinks is remote, but then he ends up getting hunted. It's pretty cool. And they go through all of the different adaptations of that one book it's pretty cool yeah yeah that sounds good uh well that's all that's happened on osiris you can go osirispod.com check out the website oh, wait, all one, day. one more thing i'm welcome to the party pal because they also their most recent episode is about that old uh period piece that tv show perry mason but at the oh, i like the new mason that was good 
Yeah, well, I think this is about the original one, I think. But I don't know. I listened to the beginning because there's a really cool Chadwick Boseman tribute, the um, incredibly talented actor. And as, we, as we're learning more and more every day, amazing human being who we just lost uh, recently. Go ahead, Seth. No, that's the, thank you for sharing all that, Mr. Rob Turner, Mr. Sports Radio, Mr. Uh, very busy uh, landscaper, Mr. Uh, I don't even know. You're just a Mr. Mr. Although there's a Mr. Mr., a great company. They should be a sponsor of ours, really. Hey, Rob, let's dive into what this episode is all about. Uh, okay, Mr. Do that, Rambler. I, wanna, I do want to thank Rob. He did a lot of work putting this episode together. I think it's, uh, it's uh, one of our more structured episodes, so I I'm excited well, it, for you all to hear it. What happened was that there were interruptions and um, she had a dog. It was a casual conversation, which was what we wanted. But the, when I got the final tape, it just seemed like certain things needed to be moved around, certain things lifted out, make it a little more concise for you all. And I added uh, some nice music in there. It's a lot of work for Seth, but um, it's a listenable episode, I believe, Seth. Well, you let us know, insideoutwtns at gmail.com. At the end of the episode, Rob and I will go ahead and uh, get caught up and catch you all up on what kind of toilet paper Rob's been using in quarantine. Although it's not really quarantine anymore. It's more quarantine. No, Rob, we will have better stuff to talk about. No, don't be Russian. Don't be Russian. We want to talk about the Heartless Bastards for a second here, which is a band originally on the Fat Possum record label, which was... um, a blues label, but as they expanded out into indie rock and so forth, Heartless Bastards was one of the first bands that they chose to do that with. And they released three records on that label, Stars and Elevators, excuse me, Stairs and Elevators, All This Time, and The Mountain, which by the way, there's a song on The Mountain called Could Be So Happy, which I think is a precursor to what we talk about with Erica, which she went on this whole transition that she went on as she's been doing these uh, ayahuasca retreats and so forth. We talk about that a good bit. That's her song. I got the sense you really want to do that, Rob, but you're afraid. I would have done it in a younger day. I'm afraid to at this point in my life. Yeah, my my younger day, I would have. Uh, They also um, went to Partisan Records and did two more records, Arrow and Restless Ones. That is their most recent one. Uh, I want to give a shout out to their website, theheartlessbastards.com, because these are all available on vinyl, all of them except Mm -hmm. the first one. And she also has, and I fell in love with her solo album, Sweet Unknown. That's the thing that could be so happy was she was talking about wanting to go to the Sweet Unknown. Decade later, she's doing a record called Sweet Unknown that's about this whole transition that she went through with just dripping with the wonderful songs. she worked with Kevin Ratterman, who Jim James fans or Strand of Oaks fans should be familiar with. But if you want to buy her solo album, which we talk about a lot, and most of the music in this episode is from that record, Sweet Unknown, you can get it on vinyl at ericawennerstrom.com. Um, also some cool mugs. I might get one of their mugs, a Heartless Bastards mug or an Erica mug. They're really nice stuff. Um, Drummer David Colvin and, and uh, bassist Jesse Ebo. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Ebo. Probably not, but that's okay. Like Ebo the letter, speaking of uh, Peter Buck. <clears throat> anyway, they, they were original members that came back for the more recent stuff. But she now has a new single out called Revolution. That's kind of a culmination of this whole transition she's been with. They have recorded mm. the record, but not released it. They're not really sure what to do with it. We talk about that. We talk about some of the, um, her thoughts about webcasting. Uh, but the single is she teamed up with Space Flight Records. It's called Revolution. Um, 
it's available on Bandcamp, and you and if you buy it on Bandcamp, some of the money goes to the ACLU. She was really enjoyable to talk with. It was it was like a, a fun conversation, wouldn't you say? Yeah, she's the one artist where when she says well, we should get together when she comes to Atlanta, I think she really means it, and she's gonna have her dog with her on tour, and I'm gonna bring my dog down, and uh, we're gonna have a little. It'll be like uh, Bradford Cox and Faulkner, you know. My dog has hung out with, with Bradford Cox of Deer Hunter, his dog Faulkner. As a matter of fact, I might have a meal with Bradford Cox uh, this coming week. I hope that Oh, works. how about that? Make sure you wear your Frank Zappa mask and wash it first. Yeah, I do need to wash it. I need to do laundry, Seth. When are you going to be out oh, of the house? So I, I guess I'll finally laundry. get to see Rob. The only time I see Rob uh, over the last several months is when he comes over to do like a month's worth of laundry. I'll tell you, although I was ready to do this at your house today. This is your wishes that we're doing it by Zoom. I, I was ready to come see you. Well, you have a friend visiting you, but let's throw to the interview. You're going to get to hear the signal, single in its entirety. You're going to get to hear a bunch of Eric, stuff from Erica Wennerstrom's Sweet Unknown record and a couple other little surprises. So We'll keep tuned. all the names of the songs and albums so you can find them in our description. Uh, please uh, enjoy. Okay, you know, and and then I did the record under my name, and um, but it was just so much harder to get word out, you know, and get awareness. Um, I don't know if my name is exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a a lot. And I worked at the time. I mean, now I started the project seventeen years ago, but now we haven't really consistently worked together for four years or so but at the time I had done six years previous the band and then and then I had this time with the solo thing and I um I just you know I I I think uh, Jesse I I talked to them you know Jesse has been very focused on his own solo music um you know and and I want to be supportive of that but I was like I don't know if I want to continue to sort of 
or I can rebrand something that's always kind of been mine to begin with. You know, I, I, yeah, I just kind of ended up changing, you know, and Dave, Dave lives in Pittsburgh. Um, and he was up for recording on the album. And then, you know, we would have to play touring by ear, but just with his schedule, it was going to be a lot of flying him in and out and uh, working around and other artists he's been working with schedule. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to take Dave's scraps <laughs> of time, you know, right. I, uh, you know, whatever, like spare time he has. I was like, this has been my thing. It's always been my thing. Um, and I think I just need to sort of continue on with it. And, and ultimately I think I have, um, a message that I think the world could use right now. I, I think that commercialism kind of sells us the idea of what an abundant life is, like this kind of false notion of happiness. Um, and I think it's a just, uh, we're at a state where um, I think the planet can't really sustain um, the way our system is, you know, I, I don't necessarily have all the answers to that. Like, I'm not saying like down with capitalism or I don't know, you know, <laughs> but I think it's just something like we need, we need to have that conversation more publicly and out loud. Like, um, but I think, you know, the, uh, I just think the system, it kind of creates this almost like Darwin survival of the fittest, you know, and everybody's sort of like scrambling to get ahead. So they also don't get left far behind. And, you know, it's almost hard to make a choice to just live a simple life now. Like, can I just live somewhere and, uh, and, and live a, not aspire to have lots of material things and but still be able to provide like education and medicine to my child you know i think we're it's almost like you're forced to be a part of the system a lot of it is a manifestation of people's dissatisfaction with themselves a lot of the yes, divisiveness it's it's like an ego thing you know mm -hmm. uh, and i i think uh it just creates a competitive nature which i also think kind of lends itself to bigotry and competition in that sense and um but you know the planet can't sustain this this way and um so it's a lot of this album is sort of a message to sort of um you know i said you know but i'm actually explaining <laughs> mm. uh, I'm trying to sort of call on people to, um, you know, think about the bigger picture, think about humanity, loving one another. Um, you know, what are we really here for? Uh, and I really think as a species, it's kind of like united we stand, divided we fall. And the more that we sort of separate ourselves into all these different little compartmentalized things to sort of measure ourselves by it um uh it takes us away from the ultimate picture of uh surviving as a species i think the planet's going to be around 
(laughs) whether humanity is or not i think it'll repair itself you know on my solo album a lot of that was sort of about learning to embrace my sort of shadow side you know like learning to love the whole self and i'm still working on it i think you know it's a life work it's a life work it doesn't ever stop exactly i but i think the awareness and like sort of being able to sort of call myself out on things and recognize where i need growth is is like it's like you know uh knowing is half the battle simple and innocent to start do you remember do you remember where you going my friend have you forgotten when there was a time when False information wasn't so rampant in the sphere There was a time when you weren't questioning Everything you hear Do you remember? Do you remember? Constantly being advertised Your life commercialized and disguised as Happiness and pills and potions Fancy threads and cars and motions Hypnotized by gilded lies To line the pockets of so few While hungry politicians feed bullshit to the masses To ensure their status as it further divides the classes
looking for a record deal, I had self-funded the album. So it wasn't uh, necessarily a decision that was completely uh, in my control uh, without having uh, you know, a release partner. And so that sort of, when the pandemic first hit, it put a little bit of a, a pause on things. And I think everybody um, just kind of, yeah, paused. So I'm uh, talking with some labels now and things are start starting to look fruitful in that area. Um, oh, and uh, I personally, I don't know if I want to wait till everything completely opens up because I do think a lot of the message in the songs um, are messages that people could really use right now. Um, uh, I think realistically, if I get everything worked out and make plans for a release, it probably wouldn't come out till uh, maybe um, early spring next year, just because it takes a while to sort of do the the planning with a label and such, or even for a self-release, even more so maybe then because you uh, are kind of in uncharted territory. So you're um, saying you're gonna give the album some trial releases, you know? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think the aim right now is for spring. And I don't know if, when it's gonna be safe to tour again. I mean, uh, I would hope by, next fall it would be realistic but i don't i, I don't know but i i don't think if i released in the spring that if we waited to tour for six months it would be that big of a gap you know it would still be very fresh for people so there is something to say for when you're able to actually get out and and promote and uh you know, be able to reach people out there on the road, you can reach a lot more people. And I really am really proud of this album. Um, so there's something to say about sort of balancing both, you know, putting the message out there, but um, not, yeah, sorry. I'm just kind of had a little like pause of what, what am I saying? I can kind of ramble, uh, yeah. We love your rambling. Don't worry about it here. But I do want to ask you this. I've heard you talk, you know, you have a lot of, you playing live, you of course have the connection with your fans. And I know some fans that see a lot of your shows and I'm sure you see familiar faces. But I've also heard you talk of, you know, you're kind of in a bubble when you're performing with your band. Does that empower you to, to, to maybe do webcasts that if you have that approach already, that maybe you guys could get together in a theater, socially distance and do some live shows and promote the album that way? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that if we release in March, I'm not sure if things will be quite back to normal by then. So I think it's going to be sort of a combination of, of that for sure. Um, and I mean, ideally playing, playing with, with an audience and having that human interaction and that energy, I think, um, it just can't be replicated online. But, you know, I think we just need, I, I mean, for me, I've just kind of resided myself to accept the situation I'm in and sort of make the most of it because there's really nothing I can do about it. Right. <laughs> 
and ultimately I feel like that enables me to sort of try to have a positive outlook through it all um, and just work with what I have. Um, as far as um, mentioning uh, sort of the idea of playing with a band and feeling in a bit of a bubble, I mean, I, I would clarify that I think it's definitely something where I feel the energy of an audience. Um, but I find um, that I, when I'm playing, I, I don't want to get wrapped up into wondering what they're thinking about the performance. I want to be sort of consumed by playing and uh, with the band and, and just sort of really consciously listening to all the instruments. And, and um, so it's more, it's more a state of like letting go of an ego when I'm playing. Uh, and I feel like if I do that and I connect with that band in that way, uh, ultimately we're connecting with the audience, but we're just not, I, I, I think it can be easy to, I mean, I've definitely had this happen over years of playing where, especially when I first started playing where I would get a little too concerned with what might think out there what I'm doing, you know. It's just sort of when you when you put yourself out there. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So I think it's just taken years to sort of like let go of that. I mean, and then the reality is, I think when when a bunch of people go to a concert, like each person has a different idea of what they saw. I mean, some people might love the concert. Some people might have not enjoyed it or whatever. You know. I mean, just everybody's got different things that they gravitate to so right. it's almost all right. best to like let go of any of that about um 
how I would look, would I look upon and negatively judge actions I make or whatever it is I'm doing, or even when I'm creating art, it's like I've sort of become a bit of my own devil's advocate. But I think when I do that, I find this balance and um, sort of once it sort of passes that test for myself, then I feel like there's really no room to doubt myself in whatever it is, whether it's my art and what I'm putting out there or my message, what I'm saying. Um, so, so if someone's uh, someone's to criticize you, you're like, no, 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 I got it covered. Don't you don't need to criticize. You don't you don't need to critique me. I got enough of that for myself. Well, I mean, in a sense, critiquing. I mean, certainly from an art aspect, to me, it's like, in a sense, art is just expressing yourself, right? So, mm -hmm. can you really do any wrong? Like, is somebody supposed to tell you that how what you're expressing isn't authentic in some way? You know, like, I think. Um, yeah, to me, uh, you know, people, there's critics and, you know, people, people have their thoughts on what they deem good, but everybody has a different idea of what that is. Before you released your solo album about three years ago, you went to the Amazon and, and did a good bit of soul searching. You could argue you had a revolution in your mind, would you say? And you tried the ayahuasca and did all of that, right? Yeah, yeah. I've actually done, um, yeah, multiple retreats uh, since then. Really? Uh, but that wow. was the first experience that I had. And um, maybe the, the most challenging within it. Um, but yeah, I think it just really opened my eyes to how much we're all really connected and, and sometimes really like, conflict is just a lack of understanding you know and it's like you have to kind of step outside of yourself to understand where somebody might be coming from um yeah <laughs> but that's 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 a point i i don't want to just gloss over uh you really do have to st you, you have to step outside yourself to to see the other perspective and it and even in in conflict when when you think you're right i mean you have to understand the other party thinks they're right and and and, and you know what's to say we're right you know like there's there are really yeah. two sides to every story and and if someone can be so passionate about their belief i mean there it's just it's it's it blows my mind you know it really does it always has it's a big frustration well, I, of, for me that, that that how one side can be so deaf to the other and seemingly the the individual manifestation of it is people are just lost in their own thoughts and that's part about what you're saying is that, you know, you have to be there. You have to have some humility to have empathy. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, too, I mean, uh, sometimes two people from two different w wavelengths even have some valid uh, reasoning, but it's a matter of understanding and like, why is this, uh, you know, where is this coming from? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we're talking in sort of uh, a bit of a vague terms or <laughs> uh, uh, you want to be situations a little bit different, but um, well, can you well, hear my be... dog? Like, <laughs> yeah, what's your dog's name? Uh, Piper. <laughs> oh, wow. That's not a fish reference, is it? <laughs> oh, no. I, it's a big uh, fish song. Oh, I, is I was. It? 
Rob, I was thinking more that, that when she got the dog, it, she was having a picnic and she's like, what am I going to name this dog? And it ate the pie. So she's like, ah, Pied Piper, of course. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, tell I, us, uh, tell us really this, Erin. I'm not sure how I got that name. It just oh, sounded no. cute. I thought she was a piper. <laughs> so she's piping in a little bit here, so that's okay. But tell us, sit, honey. tell us about girl. ayahuasca, though. You have to have like a guide, don't you? And don't you, the first time you take it, don't, isn't there a, a response, uh, a physical response when you first get the effect of it? Isn't there like, I mean, I've, I've heard other people talk about it. I mean, it. like you, purging? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Vomiting. You know, um, I didn't purge the first two times I did it at all. Um, but when I finally did, it was kind of like the best feeling ever. I felt like I was actually like ridding like huge amounts of negativity outside of like my, of my spirit of like huge amounts of negativity. And it was just like, it felt like a huge release and it, a blessing, you know, rather than had I not. Um, so, um, but, you know, I mean, everybody's a little different with that. I've done multiple retreats. And a lot of times at this point, I might just like look over a bucket and I burp into it and that's it. So um, I can't really speak for everybody else. How um, remote are these retreats? Are you way, way, way out in the middle of nowhere? Completely uh, apart from civilization? I mean, the first... Uh, the first one that I uh, did, I did uh, kind of near Iquitos, Peru in the Amazon. And I think we boated about an hour and an hour and a half up the Amazon uh, to this uh, lodge in the jungle. And, um, and then uh, I have regularly attended a place several times maybe about once a year or so in ecuador in the mountains there um and i really uh have liked that place i think they, they have like a circle and there's like 26 people there and you sit around and what you know every day you you sort of you kind of openly share and i think it just really cultivates this very warm family vibe and by the end of it i mean i've done three retreats there and i keep in touch with so many like i would say 80 percent of those the folks that i met there and uh, i visit them when i'm on tour or uh, just kind of randomly um and it just it's kind of a nice support system uh yeah and you like to write when you're on the move. And I know the first time you went there, you, you had tons and tons of voice notes, right? And little pieces for songs and stuff. Um, did you hold some back knowing that, okay, I'm going to do this solo record, but the guys are going to want to come back and do a Heartless Bastards record later. Did, were there some that you wrote? You're like, oh, I'm going to save that for the Heartless Bastards record. Not really. I mean, honestly, my songwriting process is like typically, it's almost like just putting one foot in front of the other. Like I've never been very calculated. It's, um, you know, it's like even when I'm writing each album, uh, I just kind of um, 
write a song and or a, several songs I work on. And as I'm finishing it, I sort of figure out, I always have a bunch of ideas. And sometimes it's like, okay, well, which one do I work on? And I don't know. I, I'm not even quite sure what my reasoning for that selection is. Uh, like I have probably several hundred ideas and um, still do. And I like them all, like a lot of them, I'll just sit and oh, that's a cool idea I had eight years ago. <laughs> you know, on my uh, upcoming album, I actually used uh, a couple of sections, like a bridge, and then there was another melody that I actually wrote in like 2000, I don't know, like 2002. I had some old demos before I ever had started Heartless Bastards. So somehow it made sense. But I, I think sometimes it's not that an idea isn't good and I throw it away. It's just maybe not quite ready. It's, it hasn't found its proper spot. And if I'm just patient with it and I don't force it, then eventually it finds its, its, its place, you know? But I, uh, um, yeah, as far as um, the writing process, I mean, it's really no different with my solo stuff or with the band. Uh, I just um, get ideas and I have kind of a concept and a, a vibe in mind and then I go when it was the lineup of Heartless Bastards for the last, for the second lineup of Heartless Bastards, like the last like eight years that we worked together, uh, I would present the ideas. And then, you know, there might be some suggestions for arrangements or, you know, uh, th things like that. But um, it, it was sort of a similar process when I did my solo album. Uh, it was just with a different group of people. I mean, I like the idea of a team, you know, like a family and kind of just feeling really comfortable with that group of people and, and sharing ideas. And um, yeah. How about right now? How <laughs> yeah, about right now though, when you can't be traveling around when you're yeah. staying in place, are you, are you writing any more or any less? You know, I mean, I usually, I mean, well, actually on my last album, when I finished my last album, the, the solo one, and then I started immediately writing what's the not to be released yet, Heartless Bastards album. And I, I was sort of intending on doing that, but I finished this upcoming record March 1st and I flew back from LA, Mar pardon me, March 5th. And, um, and I just, I'm really introverted, so I was gonna like pop out maybe a week after I got home, and but everything started shutting down. And then even though it wasn't like fully shut down, when I just was like following what was going on, I was like, I don't think I'm gonna go out. <laughs> so I just, I, um, yeah, but I, I, you know, I get very inspired by interacting with people uh, and nature. Yeah, maybe in a sense, I'm interacting with myself. I mean, people are sort of nature also. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and just sort of being in my home. Um, I don't know, it just well, it, and have, then have you been writing with, more? No, that's the more? thing. I haven't been writing at all. I've been sort of uninspired. I, I feel like because 
I haven't been thing. around people and I haven't, it's, you know, it's been like a hundred degrees every day. Well, you're in, so, you're in Nashville, right? No, I'm in Texas. Oh, and so it's like over a hundred okay. every day. And I've been you're taking my dog Piper like on walks around sunset. Texas um, sun. Yeah, but it's, it's just, um, I, the, the walking in nature part isn't really working so much and the interacting with people isn't. So, um, I don't know. I have a bunch of melodies, but I just have not brought myself to, uh, to really try to work them out. I am leaving on Sunday and I'm going to go stay in a friend of a friend's cabin. Uh, oh. and it's in a much cooler climate. And so I'm going to, do some daily hiking and um and i think the road trip out there is going to be really inspiring i'm going to stop in uh national forests or state parks like and just do some some hiking and and stuff and you're bringing piper with you the last uh i am what'd you say i was saying the last uh last couple of months, I decided to start getting out into Georgia. So I actually put on my website, I decided to start making a photo and like a little, not a blog, just like a, where I, and now it's like, just like, you know, if I'm going to go for a run, like go to the national park or go to, go to a different spot here. And, and in Georgia, it's like, it, I didn't realize how much was right here in Atlanta or right outside of Atlanta. And it's just amazing. I want to get back to Texas. Cause I, when I think of Texas, I think of one guy, uh, Towns Van Zant, and I know you did a couple songs. Oh man, did you do them? Beautiful versions of two Towns Van Zant songs for a tribute album. How did that all come together? Um, I just, you know, I wasn't familiar with Towns Van Zant when I first. Well, I mean, at this point, it was like fifteen years ago or something, or fourteen. I've I've lost track of time, but. Fat Possum, when I was on the label, I did my first three records with them, and they um, ended up uh, buying the rights to distribute the Towns Van Zant catalog uh, for a certain length of time or something. So they did a lot of reissues, and I just became very, very familiar, and I just really fell in love with his songwriting. And... Um, and um yeah i think when i was like thinking about covers that would be fun to do um when i first did my solo album we tried be here to love me and it was fun to add drums and sort of do it a a bit different and then i really loved how that came out and how we performed it live we had a great response from it so i wanted to record it and then i was like well why don't we do another towns van zant song and and then just do like a a tribute. So um, and, and you know maybe eventually we'll do like a vinyl release. Um, but yeah, so that sort of prompted uh, that.
you have such a presence. Man, so much when you when you're on the microphone, and any now now being in broadcasting, we understand a little bit about microphone. I'm just curious about your relationship to the microphone. Your story is to how you you got when you got comfortable, and when you realized like the distance and and how you yeah. how you can. If I can jump in, you really use and in a subtle way, you use distance from the mic to augment what you're singing. Is that something you've always been aware of? And how has, your, how has that changed for you over the years? Was that something you picked up on at a young age? Um, I feel like it's just something that I gravitated to over years of experience. But I've, some folks have mentioned that to me and I, um, maybe everybody doesn't eventually do it, but I will, I mean, I sing, really low sometimes and like on revolution the new song for instance i'm like i'm almost like talking in a really low way the earlier part of the song and it and 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 and, and, and singing or talking in that manner really doesn't project and then like later in the song i'm belting um and when you're getting like monitor levels or uh when you're recording in the studio and you're adjusting your headphone levels like um i just felt like in order to you know if 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 i don't uh, sort of get a little closer to the mic when i'm singing really quiet and dynamic then i'm kind of like relying on the sound person in a way which could be their job but to me it's almost helping and it's making it easier and it also, the sound person can control my sound out there, but I actually work at Soundcheck to adjust my own monitor level. So I'm oh, really? singing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like when you do a sound check, uh, you know, for vocals, you can't, you can't, you have to have a monitor to heal yourself above a band. Uh, and so you have to sort of set a level. Um, that you can hear yourself above the band. Uh, but I am singing to the mic in a way that sort of what I hear coming out of that monitor is how I want it to, to the audience to mm -hmm. hear it. Now, so is that why you don't use in-ears or? Um, I don't use in-ears because, well, I, I've tried them before. Um, well, the, the one thing is the first time I tried in-ears, I didn't realize that when you wear both in-ears that you actually need to put mics out in the audience because they actually deafen yeah. the audience and we didn't have mics. So it was like, you couldn't hear anything uh, other yeah. than the band coming through the monitor. And that was a really weird uh, experience. Uh, you know, I, I know that we can put the mics out there now, but I love feeling music. You know, like when you go to a concert yeah. and there's the subs and the bass. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You can't, you can't get, you can't get that low end that that subs that really kind of move you in in ears. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you have a floor monitor, you can literally feel it, like coming at you, like physically. So oh, I guess I just sense. really like that aspect now and you mentioned the uh the sound engineer being 
you know, making their job easier. How much do you rely on the sound? Do you use the same sound engineer? Uh, do you, are you comfortable with just going in house and working with folks? Like how, how important is that sound engineer to your sound, to your vocal sound? I think it's always good to bring somebody, um, you know, maybe there's a little vocal effect that you want on a moment in a song. And also, um, usually, hopefully you hire somebody that, I mean, if you're working with daily, like they care. Yes. yes. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of really good humans working at venues doing sound engineering and stuff, but you're gonna once in a while, if you just rely on the house people, mm-hmm. You're going to get somebody that really just doesn't care. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, and I think um, when you hire somebody uh, and, and you're on the, you know, touring with people, it's kind of like family and they're just, you know, it's almost like they're another member of the band. So, yeah. yeah. And that last question was uh, microphones. Like, do you have a preferred microphone or are you good with just an SM58 or whatever? I actually prefer, uh, I should know this, but I'm blanking out. I want to say it's an SM57 or a Beta 57. I think it's an SM57. <laughs> I kind of, yeah. I, ha- I haven't been on the road in a while. So I'm <laughs> blanking out on the mic that I use, but um, uh, it's worked well for me. It sounds good with my voice and uh, a 50, uh, what is it, an SM57? 58 typically uh, picks up a lot of the space around you. So it can Uh like the louder you get it, like in your monitors, it can pick up a lot of the other instruments and things coming in. Uh, But an SM57, I think it's a 57, is a little more honed in on just my voice. So um, I don't have, I've had issues where like the drum cymbals are coming into my microphone and stuff. Mm -hmm. So uh, it gives me a little more separation. But now Seth, uh, begging your indulgence, could you uh, give us a Wayback Machine? Now, warning, it's been a little while since I've done this. Let's see. A little Colonel Bruce tribute at the end there. Uh, Dayton, Ohio, a young Erica Wennerstrom. Interesting dichotomy because, as she said, she's still an introvert now. She's an introverted young girl, but always knew that she wanted to sing. Erica, explain to me, how does an introvert know that she wants to sing? I really don't know. I mean, I really, like, I've wanted to sing since I was, like, I don't even know how old I was. Somewhere between three and five years old, I would just tell my family I was going to be a singer or people I was around. But I was, like, I never sang. I wasn't it really extroverted. I didn't sing around everybody. Um, I, my... I'm not quite sure what prompted that, you know, if it was just some kind of like spiritual like faith thing or whether, I mean, my mom was really into like jazz music and we would have these, my parents called them garden parties. We, they weren't really in a garden. We had just people like a potluck and people would bring food and come on set it on the porch and um but oh, my mom worked in, and uh uh 
uh, some of her coworkers were jazz musicians and they would play instruments at the gatherings. And I just thought that was, I just love that. Uh, and I don't, sometimes I wonder if that like really inspired me, just say, like seeing people perform music in general. Um, I, I kind of sort of look back and try to figure out where, <laughs> where did it come from? Well, you also, Mahalia Jackson and Billie Holiday, you were exposed to at a very young age, right? Yeah. I mean, with Mahalia Jackson, I wasn't that familiar with like her body of work as uh, when I was young, but we had this Christmas album and there uh, she sang go tell it on the mountain yeah and it was like this compilation and that i that song specifically i played it over and over and over again i was just obsessed with that and i did i played it even when it wasn't christmas time decides to move to Cincinnati was were your aspirations uh musical aspirations present at that point and was that part of why you chose Cincinnati um I mean yeah my musical aspirations were definitely present then I um I was in a relationship with Mike Lamping um who ended up playing in the live band later uh, when I first started Heartless Bastards. Um, and he was from Cincinnati. So uh, I decided to make the move and, and we got a place together. And then I was there for nine years. Um, and I started the band as like a recording project and had kind of a varied cast of folks. And then uh, when I put a live band together, Mike eventually joined, uh, and he was on the first couple albums, uh, and and we toured together. And then when we split up, um, that prompted my move to Austin. All right, but wait, before that, before that, though, you did a couple really smart things and things we've talked about on the show earlier, very early on. When you moved to Cincinnati, you got to know all the venue booking agents well and kept an eye on their schedules and were constantly offering to open for acts, probably Covington too, I would imagine, right? Covington, Kentucky has a lot of venues. Oh, definitely. It was, what was worth Southgate House was the big venue over there. Yeah. Okay. So 
you end up it's right next to covington by the way it's pretty much the same area yeah it's a beautiful ride over the river actually cincinnati's baseball stadium is the only professional stadium where you can hit a ball into another state Oh, because okay. if, really? yeah, if you hit the ball in the river, it's technically Kentucky once, once it's the water. So it's the only stadium in all baseball where you can literally hit a ball out of your state. In Pittsburgh, it's stadiums? not the Rock same. I, I think that's more normal where it's at the middle of the water. There's something about the border between Kentucky and Ohio where it's Kentucky right when it's the water. I don't know. Someone told me that when I was at a Reds game a long time ago. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, have you ever gone through that bridge uh, entering from, I want to say, West Virginia into Pittsburgh? Uh, I don't I think, think I so. Did no. Maybe a year ago. It, it looks – it reminds me so much of, of that same – um, when you turn the corner and there you see the, the river and the baseball stadium and everything. The only difference is in West Virginia and in entering into Pennsylvania is that uh, you're actually like driving, I think, through a mountain that's been like probably dynamited. <laughs> out uh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what uh, it is. Yeah. You know. I had a blowout on the bridge from Cincinnati to Kentucky. You know that bridge? I had a blowout oh, on that. Like you had a it was scary. On the bridge? Yeah, yeah. Does it but get, sway uh, in the wind? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, I don't remember that because I did end up getting across it and then pulling off then. I, I, I oh, took the risk. Okay. I didn't want to pull off. The blowout happened on the bridge. I just made it over and then it, oh, it was a nightmare. But getting back, to, so you open for the Blackies. <laughs> you end up hanging out with them. And then you have a gig in Akron. And I love this because you show up. Do you want to tell the story? Or do you want me... Um, I, either way, you're doing a good job. <laughs> <laughs> We're always telling musicians that no matter what gig, you never know who's there. And you always take any chance you can to play live. So they showed up. The, the owner was like, he probably, I'm guessing, didn't promote it well. Just a wild guess. And there, were, there really was like a couple there and maybe one guy at the bar. You guys went up, played your hearts out. And in the middle of the set, who shows up? But Patrick from the Black Keys. Isn't that correct? Yeah, we had done a show with the Black Keys probably a month before that opening for them in Newport, Kentucky at that Southgate house venue I mentioned. And, and I, it went really well. And I actually sold out of the EPs. Um, and, uh, and then Patrick had asked about getting one. And I was like, oh, I was like, gosh, I actually don't have one. <laughs> uh, and, um, but I, we, I didn't get his contact info or anything like that. And I, I'm, I'm not really quite clear. And I actually never asked him this. I'm not sure whether he ended up noticing that we were playing at that venue and decided to come or whether it's just a coincidence, scared. you know, that, you know, it's like the local music venue in town. I could see him very much just deciding to go there for a drink randomly. So I'm, I'm not really quite sure. How do you want uh, the story the, to be told? Huh? <laughs> so in that case, how, how, how do you want the memory to be, to, to be folded? You know, like he heard of you guys, he heard of you and it just was dying to see you. So he went that night. No, no, no. I mean, uh, he's asking I, you to make up a Dylan-esque uh, kind of fable. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, but I don't know whether he recognized the band's name and intentionally came there to see us or whether. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, but, uh, he, he gives your demo to Fat Possum, which at the time, I mean, we, I think Fat Possum's known for a different thing now. Back then, they were really 
had had just started getting in indie rock they were really more about shining a light on blues artists of the past right well, that was the initial intention of the label yeah i mean i probably sent my demo to like i don't know 30 labels i didn't get i might have gotten one rejection letter i certainly didn't get any where with that but um, Fat Possum was a label I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't have occurred to me to send uh, a demo to. Um, I thought of myself a little more as indie. I know there's some blues influence, but um, I just didn't think that it would be something they'd be interested in. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, Patrick sent them the demo. The funniest thing about that night in Akron too, though, is the, the, the guy that owned the club said, you know, you guys don't even really need to play. He's like, I'll pay you in full, you know, but wouldn't you rather just get on your way to, to the next town that you're going and, you know, like, I, I'm not going to like, you know, like, not pay you or something i think he just probably didn't feel like setting up like and doing sound checks and stuff for a room that had like three people in it you know and but i was kind of like man we just drove like five hours here and it's good practice <laughs> and we're like we were on our way to new new york city <laughs> you know i was like we can use the practice so and you love to play yeah so i convinced him to just go ahead and let us play um, you know, but I could have very easily just taken the pay and left and then nothing would have ever happened with my label and everything. So I try to point that out for like younger bands and, yes. you know, that serious message. it's, it's not, uh, I mean, there's no guarantees with anything, but if you're just playing for an audience, I don't know. I think there's ways to grow as a band, whether you have a room full of people or not. Um, yeah, well, you, you mentioned in the, in, the, in the top of the show here, which is losing that ego. You know, if you, if you, if you play without ego and you, take, and, you, and you put yourself in opportunity, you're going to see a positive effect. And, yeah, you know, well, it's certainly not going to hurt, you know. No, I mean, it's, it's not going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I could have caught some, you know, law and order reruns on the hotel that night. And <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, but I preferred to play for sure. Um, but yeah. And then I had had a phone number on <laughs> the, uh, CD that I had given Patrick and then he passed it off to Fat Possum. Um, or n no, it was an older email or something. No, phone number and an email. Yeah. The you, phone missed number the, didn't you missed the email and the phone number was your old the place you had moved from. Yeah, the phone number didn't work anymore. It was pre-having cell phones. Uh, and, uh, and the email, the email was right, but I had never checked junk mail. I just assumed I that my mistake. email server would know what junk was. Yeah. And Fat Possum had been emailing. And uh, Mike <laughs> Lamping, my ex-boyfriend that was in the band, one day I was at work bartending and then I came home and I think there was like, he wrote a note, like, why didn't you tell me fat possum was emailing? And I, so the next day I woke up, he was at work and I call him like, what do you, what, you know? And I was just like, 
in the junk mail the whole time. So. Wait, what? Um, what? 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 <laughs> yeah. Okay, then the there first big, first big tour is not only with Drive-By Truckers, but man, at a key point in their career, Dirty South had just come out. We didn't get it here in Atlanta, but you played around the South and stuff like that. How did you, was that driven by the label? Or I know, I know Patterson spoke on your behalf. He would talk about you guys at shows you weren't even on. He was a big supporter of yours. Were you pulled in by Drive-By Truckers or were you pushed on that tour by the label and then the truckers found you once you were there? Well, I mean, we had the same booking agent. So I think that when um, my first record was going to come out, um, my agent shared it with, with uh, the band and, and their team. Uh, and just, you know, said, what do you think about this pairing for tour? And, um, you know, they were into the idea. You know, I find, like, they've really had so many great acts, like, support over the years. I mean, uh, Alabama Shake started opening shows for Drive-By Truckers. I mean, they really, um, yeah, they're, they're really great at checking out, like, keeping their what is it, their finger on the pulse, you know, yeah. of new music and, and bringing, like, really good, fresh stuff. Yeah. Patterson's consistently shined a light on other artists throughout his career. It's one of the greatest things of a great guy. But what, yeah. are, your mem- what are your memories, though? Come on, Drive-By Truck. At that point, they were a little more crazy than they are now. Um, what are some of your memories? What are your standout moments or stories of being on the road with those guys? Um, oh, gosh. I mean... I remember our first night was a two night stand at in Austin, coincidentally, where I live now is at the parish uh, sold out. Um, this band split lip Rayfield was oh, yeah. on that tour. Yeah. Great band. They were the middle middle set. Um, and I remember like Jason Isbell and Shauna uh, were the two youngest in the band and we were a bit younger. So sometimes we would, I think the truckers were really blowing up and there were like lots of interviews and, and that was like such a huge tour for them. And that's when they really, you know, started blowing up. So um, I felt like they, um, yeah, I don't know. I was so introverted. I like was, I kept, we were like really friendly, but we were a little bit awkward. But sometimes we would hang out with Jason and Shauna more because we were around the same age. Um, so I remember some of that. And, uh, but it, it's funny, I, I, looking back, and it's funny after so many years of me just being introverted and kind of awkward like it's just i've gotten to know them so well i mean we figured out that we've toured together more than any other artists that we've toured with oh wow and um but i feel like each tour i've we've all kind of come out of our own introverted shells more (laughs) it's like you know i you can tour with bands and sometimes if you're really busy doing press and stuff, it can be kind of like, you know, you're sound checking at different times. They're going to eat dinner when you show up at the venue and you're sound checking. It's just, there's sometimes they were on a bus. So the bus would take off at night 
Um, I felt like I actually got to know them a lot more. The, the time where we, we got to really, really bond is, oh gosh, maybe in 2013 or 14, we flew over to Europe and we did a tour over there. And, um, and just the way the schedule was, I don't know. Yeah. I felt like we, I got to know them more <laughs> than I ever had before. Did you play Germany by chance? Um, gosh, my memory's a little hazy. All right, on more um, ge general terms, do you find people in Europe really listen more carefully and like wait till the song ends and then clap? Did you, did you see a difference in the audiences there from the US? Um, I mean, I feel like it depends on what country, too, you know? I mean, the Irish can really get their party on. <laughs> <laughs> the Scottish, you yeah. know? And uh, I find, like, the French are a little bit more reserved. But, you know, I, I'm used to, in America, people getting a bit rowdier. Although that can even vary. I mean, you can play the same city multiple times, but if you play on a Friday night and everybody's worked all week and they're just raring to go like for the weekend, or you happen to land on that same town, like on a Monday night and they got to get up early, but they made it out anyway. It's just like a little bit of a different feel, you know? And I, um, I'm sure it's like that. And, um, mm -hmm in Europe a little too, you know, and, and, but there are definitely different characteristics or like, um, you know, what, what's that? I can't even think of the term, you know, uh, where it's like a generalization, but it's like, you know, a stereotype or something, you know, but, um, no, I, I'm Jewish. I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's very stereotypical too. Kevin Retterman is is the producer of this project, right? Uh-huh. It's well, it's sort of uh I started working with Danny Rice, who lives uh locally here in Lockhart where I live, outside Austin. Um but um we just were gonna run out of time. Uh we did the basic tracking and we had time scheduled. Uh, he, he had other projects coming in and he was also leaving for a tour and we're just, we're looking at the dates and it was just like, this isn't going to get done. Um, and for me, I've always had a bit of a mission to, I think because a lot of the song is about sort of like a reminder to sort of love one another and sort of, to me, that's like almost what's most important. Uh, uh, I thought it, it was a message I really wanted to put out before the election because I just had really, really deep anxiety with how mean everybody was <laughs> to each right. other. Like I'm on social media, like, and things. And like on the last election, God, it just really, even if it wasn't an something I interacted with other people, just seeing people like be so mean to each other yeah. is hard. And, uh, so I thought, you know, I may, I mean, sometimes, I mean, I think ultimately people want the same things and sometimes there are these contrasting ideas of how to get there. And maybe just if I can remind people to be kind to one another and uh, that it could be something, a message that people could use. So I've always had this sort of adamant goal to have it out this year. And I, um, and to release the album originally around election time, but um, 
you know, I, I think with the process of looking for a label, I um, decided to go ahead and self-release or actually a friend of mine's label is helping me with the distribution uh, space light records uh, to go ahead and release revolution. Yeah. I would think third man would go after it. I'm kind of surprised. Did you ever approach third man records? Uh, I, I, I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know whether I should talk about that. Gosh. Or not. Oh, I that's right. I, mean, well, I about... approached uh, lots, but to be honest, like I will say as far as any label and whatever, interest that they might or might not seem to have had that we were in the midst of a pandemic right and uh i'm i didn't sort of go to seek out whether you know why people turned the option of working on it you know i mean there's just any number of reasons that i did have one label that said that they just had already had like a hugely packed release schedule and that they would spread themselves thin and ultimately do me and the other artists they were already releasing uh, uh, in, in, you know, an yeah. injustice to overload their plate. So right. there, you know, there's lots of reasons why, you know, that could be. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but Kevin has worked with Strand of Oaks, Jim James, Twin Lab, Elliot. What was it like working with Kevin and how did he, uh, how do you feel he improved your, your work? Oh man, Kevin is just uh, the best, man. I just love him. What a, uh, an amazing, kind, positive human being to, to work with. I, you know, I ended up moving the project over to LA uh, and uh, I just think that sort of how fate turned out was everything that I needed <laughs> in order to finish this project. Just in and, time. <laughs> yeah and uh his ability to understand some ideas i'm not always the best at figuring out how to communicate an idea uh but he really kind of worked with me to understand some stuff there's a song on the album that i'm using like old samples like i went down like a rabbit hole of looking for an old horns and like an old hip-hop beat and you know we just went through and pieced together drum samples i've never worked in that way before and he i had i found this i went down this giant rabbit hole to look for the perfect samples uh, you know i love portishead yeah uh, amazing and uh there's a song on the album that i was like uh inspired by this certain Portishead song where they use like these orchestral things, but they were just samples. Uh, but finding samples that would actually mm -hmm. fit a song that I already had in my head rather than inspiring a song. Cause I don't know what their process was, but they, That's it, those, uh, I had to, they might've been inspired by those samples and created, but I worked sort of backwards with it. And I had to like find things that fit uh, but Kevin was wonderful in helping me figure out this sort of uncharted territory. Uh, and how are you going to play uh, those uh, samples when you go live? Oh, uh, yeah. you know, I got to like figure that out. I, you <laughs> You've know, got plenty of time to figure it out. <laughs> I, you know, I actually brought in a string quartet and I oh, wow. like worked on this arrangement and this uh one of the members of the quartet uh it helped 
me do like tablature. I can't think of the right word, but help me, you know, put the arrangements on. So when they came in, they could play it. Uh, and, uh, uh, what am I saying with that? Um, and we stacked it. So it sounds like an orchestra. And I was like, I can't bring a quartet or an orchestra on tour. Uh, but I think, you know, I mean, I, I was thinking I can get up there and sing a song and maybe add like real drums are pretty cool with program drums and just have a real bass play the song and, you know, the strings won't be live, but I mean, people rap to tracks all the time, you know, yeah. I, I think, yeah. um, yeah, I want to do a combination of live instruments and samples so I can still play the song. Yeah. yeah. And then you could always have one big gig where you replicate it, you know, at the Ryman or something, actually have a string quartet. And I was thinking about that too. How amazing yeah. that would be. Yeah. How amazing will that be? It's going to happen. It could really happen. Definitely. I can see right. yeah, yeah, I think it's going to happen too. Yeah. <laughs> You're so generous. <laughs> Who have you been listening to during Stay in Place? What, what artists of any genre? Um, well, um, there's this woman, when I was in Ecuador in January, one of the people at the retreat recommended this woman named Lassa de, okay, I want to say Lassa de Absa, but is that the, the, there's a dog that's Lassa something, her name's L-H-A-S-A, -A. Lassa de Sala, that's it. <laughs> Lasa um, Sala. Um, and he recommended her to me. And then I listened to a, an album titled just Lasa. Uh, and it's just beautiful. It's, almost, it's like kind of heartbreaking and comforting all at the same time. It's just really powerful. I highly recommend it. garden growing underground treasure waiting to be found bird that never makes a sound
in all honesty, my favorite time to listen to music is when I am in the company of others. It's like if I'm at a friend's gathering or we're having a cookout or something. And to me, it's this sort of, sort of thing that we all sort of celebrate in uh, or even sit album in its entirety with a friend and but but yeah. in all honesty in my daily life I don't really listen to that much music because I'm always writing and I'm working on ideas and I'm sort of almost meditating on you know trying to sort of let ideas enter so um I am just kind of give myself a whole lot of quiet and, and, and space for that. Uh, but I can, it's like, I can listen to a song once by an artist that affects me so much that I never forget the song, never forget the artist. And I might not hear that song for five years later, but I can tell somebody that I love huh. the song by that artist and I don't forget it. I can give you, I'll give you an example of me with that. Jason Isbell, Dress Blues. Have you ever heard that one? Dress Blues by Jason Isbell. Yeah. Oh, that has, yeah, that I, makes me cry. Yeah, I mean, Jason's work is, I mean, he's just a wonderful gets, gets songwriter. It's been amazing uh, to see him grow. And, um, uh, you know, another, an artist I like a lot is Ty Seagull. I just, I don't know, he does so much uh interesting he's always doing different sounds and experimenting and i um i just love his stuff another songwriter from my hometown is bob pollard guided by voices i don't know if y'all oh, yeah. yes absolutely i mean he writes like i feel like he releases an album a year every six months or something he's so prolific and i just it's really hard to i only because i do sort of do a lot of silence in my life, I, I, I can, I only listen to so much It's hard to take in one artist if they're producing that much. Uh, but, um, like all the early U2 and, uh, Octune baby, is that the name of the album? Or is yeah. that a song? That's the album, right? Yeah. yeah. Like that one, uh, really, I have so many fond memories of, um, oh, yeah. nostalgic memories yeah. and and then the albums before that you know i mean there's just so much good stuff uh, uh I, i'll throw in the fact that um uh what when spotify first when i started using spotify first several several years ago it's maybe not i don't know i can't time is so elastic I, I don't even know but um it was really interesting I, when i was married at the time uh your song me heartless bastards would come on but i wouldn't i didn't know i wasn't so familiar with the music but you're one of the few artists that every time the song came on, I'm like, Oh, I got to add this on a playlist. And I wasn't, yeah. do, I wasn't all like playlist heavy. You know, I was like, or the like, it was at that point where you could star a song. It was before the liking songs. Anyway, it was just one of those funny things that I wanted to share because it's, it was something unique about um, your music that was like in our it's, household at that time. It's always well sung. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of memories though, since you brought up guided by voices, you must've seen them back in Dayton back in the day. Did oh yeah. yeah what are some memories from that well to be honest i mean my my friend turned me on to them right around maybe the alien lanes release but he had played me some of b thousand and um 
it's something just really grabbed me when I heard that. And I um, totally fell in love with those albums. Um, but then I went to see them live and especially in the hometown, they would get so drunk that they could barely <laughs> play. And I was just like, what? Oh, you know what it was? I saw them first and they were so drunk that I just wouldn't have grasped what it is. And then later my friend played me the albums and I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I really like it, you know? And, and, uh, but they just used to get so like, and they're, they've always been known for that, but there was just a point where the lineup changed and they were still known for partying, but, had sort of developed a way to just sound really good and super tight, you know, within that. But some of those old hometown shows, it was just, yeah, very train wreckish. Uh, yeah. Did you um, see the, breed the breeders back then too? And you ended up working with one of the deals, right? Um, I, uh, yeah, I saw, I mean, when they were really, uh, you know, with the, the number one hit and Cannonball. I was in high school and I saw them at like the arena, but I wouldn't have like known any of them then. I I later right, got right. to know them. Uh, gosh, have I worked with them? Maybe I have in some capacity and I'm like blanking out. I, well, you were supposed to write a song with one of them for something. Kelly? Oh, oh yeah. Kelly and I did. Uh, I didn't realize I publicly talked about that. Wow, you're good. <laughs> well, he, he, he does a, his research, though, by the way. We're, we, we're going to finish by talking about your third grade teacher. I, I, the stuff he dug up there. She was excellent. <laughs> Just outstanding. Dayton's finest. Um, you know, I, Kelly and I did, I did a show uh, with her around the holidays a few years ago. And we exchanged some song ideas that we were going to collaborate on when I was in town. And then I feel like something came up and we weren't able to get together. And then I always intended on sort of following back up with that, but it just kind of. I think you've upset Piper about that one. <laughs> <laughs> Someone really was looking forward to that collaboration. Just, I mean, you can it's hear It's a it. podcast. That's not Piper. That's me, you know. Just <laughs> <laughs> I, was just, I know it's like we're on video, but it's not going to be on the cast so it'd be funny to pretend that's me <laughs> we're saving the video for our box set <laughs> well, well thank you thank you so much for your time uh, is austin is austin's texas still weird is it going to remain weird through the all of this um i mean you know i mean i guess that depends on what weird is i don't know <laughs> it's a little bit relative um, oh, well, my relatives are weird. Yeah, is that, it doesn't feel as weird for sure. to me now, but I don't know. I mean, maybe like maybe normal's weird. I was talking with somebody the other day about oh, how this town thing. that they live in right now is kind of like the Truman Show. So then it's kind of like, well, what is weird, right? It's like I love that you know normal I mean? is weird. Like, I love that. Um, but uh, I, you know, Austin's definitely. I mean. I haven't seen the guy that rides his bicycle around in a thong lately. Um, that's he, that's not good. That's a move he, toward he, normal. It's like a Gotta get him back color. out there. It's a nude colored thong, so it just kind of gives the impression he's riding his bike everywhere naked. 
Piper, what are you barking at? Um, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, some of that stuff I get a kick out of. Like, I'm not offended by it. I, mean, I know he has like a thong. It's just kind of funny. Uh, there's some characters like that. Um, yeah, I don't know though. I haven't really been out, so I don't know if it's uh, weird or not. <laughs> Well, we will let you go. Thank you so much. We can't wait to hear this, this uh, new record. Your solo record is wonderful. I, I, you need to know that what you do has great meaning. I had a friend just today who was upset, couldn't get out of bed, and I sent him Sweet Unknown, and it got him out of bed and cheered him up. So please keep writing and keep giving us music. It, 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 I'm sure there's thousands and thousands and thousands of people touched by what you do. Thank you so much for appreciating it. And um, I uh, really appreciate this interview and I hope to uh, see you all when it's safe to resume shows in the, or do you guys both live in Atlanta? Or? Yes. Yes. yes and, and we have a studio adjacent to the Variety Playhouse. So if you want to come in when you're playing there, it's right across the alley. You could come do a little uh, performance interview there in person. Uh Okay, I, well, I would love to, and I, I look forward to the day that we can, can do that in person. Oh, you can always rearrange Oh man, did I enjoy that conversation. She's so ho-hum about her brilliance. She really is.
Yeah, yeah, she is. Especially singing style, where that's something that you and I, before this interview, were so taken by the way she uses her voice, the oh, way and she... the microphone and all that, yeah. Yeah, and she was just very, like, I guess it's instinctual to her, but that's a big part of what makes her stand out from, from other artists. I, I really, I was surprised she didn't want to talk about that more. Yeah, I agree. I thought we were going to uh, unravel some, some, you know, like training or like some secrets it's just, just now nah, this is what i do like this is natural um shout out to patterson hood as i said in the interview yeah. first time i ever heard about this band was patterson hood so many bands patterson hood is uh you know reached out and and lifted up by with his words and his support and uh and his genuine interest so good on him mm-hmm. seth uh, i'm enjoying your coffee connections series can you tell our listeners what you're doing with that Oh, sure. Thanks. Thanks for asking, man. I appreciate that. And thanks for listening. So you, as you all know, I am your auctioneer. If you don't know, I'm a benefit auctioneer specialist and I uh, go by your auctioneer. And so I started a new series, a video series, about a half hour long. I talk to, it's basically insights with innovators. So I'm talking to nonprofits in the Atlanta area, uh, executive directors, development directors, marketing directors, et cetera, talking about their organization, what their mission is, uh, what their current projects are, what they're doing, what changes they've gone through. We talk about fundraising, uh, how they've connected with their donors in the past and what's changed and how they're connecting and raising funds here uh, in this social distancing time of the virtual galas and hybrids and all this sort of stuff. Uh, And the unique thing is at the end of each episode, my guest gets to pick my next guest. So we've that worked is, our way. Go ahead. I like that. I like that a lot. That is a great idea. I think we kind of came up with that together, didn't we? When we were just chatting about your new show. You should have a way to tie one into the next and to be inspired for the right to, over the course of time, you'll interview the right people that way. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really opening. It's exposing myself to a lot of different nonprofits that may not know I exist, but also sharing uh, the knowledge of these nonprofits. There's so many amazing ones. I mean, just to give you an example, um, you know, I've talked to a couple of Jewish organizations like the Jewish barbecue festival here in, uh, in, in Atlanta, which is that was the most, most kosher barbecue one. festival. Yeah. That was kind of neat coming up. I've got uh, illuminate Atlanta. I've got the Atlanta community food bank, the center for civic innovation, uh, the Georgia center for child advocacy and the Atlanta Jewish music festival, just to name a few all nonprofits here in our area doing amazing work. And where do people find these? Uh, you can go to your And there is a section on that website called, Coffee Connections, and on Coffee Connections on that page, every single episode's there. Uh, and you can also find it at the uh, Your Rocktioneer YouTube. So if you go to YouTube uh, and look for Your Rocktioneer, we have a whole channel full of them. Uh, well, and most recently, I should say music fans, check out the one with the Fox Theater Institute. We oh, talk I about the, that. I mean, one of the things, I, I, didn't even, I didn't even know, yes, I love them too. They're, they're helping fund uh they're giving grants to theaters all across Georgia uh, to, that are historic theaters and helping them with preservation projects. So, you and know, they, these, they also help them with insight, booking insight and all, all different things, anything to make a theater stay alive, which is so yeah. important in these times now. Go on. And what I didn't know, though, is I was like, how do you guys get your funding? Because I know you don't do like a big gala. You know, we, yes, we did. Um, we did a big concert last year, Revival at the Fox, which was awesome. Uh, but, Rob, what, what I found out on that episode, 
was when you go to the Fox and you're like, buy a drink and you know, you're like, damn it, why is this whiskey 12 bucks? A percentage of that drink, of percentage of the merch, all of the, all the sales, tickets, percentage of all that goes into their funding. And that's how they're that. able to provide this grant. So when By you way, go and see music at the Fox Theater, you're supporting other theaters across Georgia. My whiskey's cost $24. I don't know. You're, you're a bit of a lightweight. That revival concert that uh, Seth is talking about, there was one set that was REM, non-stipe REM. And then it started with Kevin Kinney fronting them. And then it had, who else? This, uh, Tom from Swimming Pool Cues and, and the woman from Pylon came out. It was like such a wonderful Georgia set. And the fact that Mike Mills, who I met that night and got to chat with, and Peter Buck, who walked out of our interview once in that same room. And, uh, and Bill was on drums too, wasn't it? Bill Barry on drums? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, God. yeah. Well, what a great moment. That all happened right before I did a uh, fund a need uh, cash appeal on the stage. On stage. So, on so stage. I, can, I can literally say that three fourths of REM opened for me. And then he, uh, he mentioned the, sh- <laughs> he mentioned the podcast uh, while he was on stage and I got all these pats on the back because I was with a bunch of people we know. And oh yeah. <laughs> people who don't listen to the show, but still whatever. I'll take the pat on the back. Whatever. Well, Hey, apparently I found out one person that doesn't listen to our show anymore because of some comment I made. Oh boy. What a little, uh, little sensitivity oh, out there, buddy. That's, that's media today. One person says one, thing wrong then you're gonna cancel them you're gonna you're gonna shut them out can only hear what you what's okay I mean, i'll tell you i get offended by my podcast if a podcast doesn't offend me after four or five episodes i might turn it off and i don't like like real agreeing and sure bland and low energy podcast i like a little upbeat energy and a little like opinion and a little edge yeah and i don't mind if someone like says something i disagree with like it's okay right. or or if someone says something that's like i know someone isn't uh isn't uh you know racist but if they say something that kind of comes off like you know it's like all right well they were joking maybe that was maybe you got to take it in context what did you say what, what were they talking about? oh no this was one of the gay jokes i i must have made somehow oh. i think it was an oh hey or like something like ohio it's like oh hey or some stupid thing like that but yeah you anyway. are not you are not anti-gay at all no no that's silly. Oh, well, anyway, I want to... I wear rainbow jackets at freaking auctions. I mean, come on. <laughs> hey, Rob, you know, one thing that... Uh, to change the subject, though. One thing that happened, I had a friend over the other night. It was a date, and uh, she put, a, put the wine glass on the coffee table. You know how my coffee table moves? Mm-hmm. And, and it didn't bother me. But like when you're over, if you touch the coffee table, I get so annoyed. And I just, and, and like I went through this epiphany at that moment. I was like, it's so interesting how much control we have over ourselves and, and, and how much control we have in how we, how we feel and act. Like, why would I, uh, why would it not bother me when someone's there? And it would I don't know. I think there? in my opinion, and here's a comment that might get us canceled, but I think it's a man being a wuss where, um, I have a couple of friends like this who are like really particular about everything. But when a woman comes in, into their world, then she dictates everything and he'll do whatever they don't. I have one friend who hated fish. Now he has what, a girlfriend. What, what does this have because to do with a woman? If a she dude, dictate, if, she put, she put a if, cup down on a fucking table, which is what a, you do. If a dude does it, it's bad. If she does it though, it's eh, whatever, you know, I, I want to get, I want to get what she's sitting on, you know, so she can do whatever. All right. So let's, and one of the things we talk about in this interview was 
when a song the first time you hear it hits you and you and you know you're gonna remember it yeah you know what i'm talking about and yeah, the first called, i can tell you bahamas is that way to me but go on yes i've been listening to bahamas too hopefully we're gonna have something with them soon anyway um this next song which we're gonna lead off we're gonna end with a an Erica song from Sweet Unknown, and then we're going to go back to Artless Bastards. This first one's called Gravity, and that's exactly what happened. This is such a powerful, powerful song, in my opinion. Gravity. Erica Winterstrom from Sweet Unknown. We good, thanks. Seth? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, it's a pleasure to be recording with you again, Rob. Let's, uh, let's, let's pick it up again. It's fall. We, I mean, I'd like well, to- Listeners, let's put it on you. If you want us to interview people like Steve Homer- Said Great Boy All-Stars, we got on it. Someone else said you should, uh, you know, what's, what's going on with the industry this time? We got on it. We're very Inside listener. Out WTNS at very listener directed now. Inside Out WTNS at gmail.com. I'm RST. That's Inside Out WTNS at gmail. And that's us on Facebook. And I'm R-S-T-N-E-R on Twitter. And Inside Out WTNS on Hey, Twitter. Rob, I'm also your Rockshineer now on uh, Twitter. I, I, gotta, I, I put your Rockshineer on Twitter. Congratulations. I'll be sure to follow. All right, here we go. Enjoy gravity.